I am joined by, as always, Jake Motherfucker Welder, the sergeant uh, of an undisclosed location, possibly somewhere in uh, southwestern United States. I'm John, as you know, and I was a former correctional officer for six and a half years, field training officer sergeant. Hey, Drew, even though you don't listen to the show because our first episode featured a shit burrito and you apparently don't like shit. He's above it. All right. He's, yes, he's too good for shit. <laughs> you know, it's really what we should all be saying is we, we should all be saying, listen, we're all adults. We're all middle-aged adults. We're not just 18. We're, you know, we're, we're twice that. We should all be beyond shit. Right, but it still features so heavily into my daily job. Well, right, so. and it, it is. Yeah, so we're not, I'm not, you know, we made it an edict on Com Center that we weren't going to do shit anymore. I'm making an edict here on Hard Time, where I'm the Drew Breezy of this, and it's it's shit will be mentioned in every episode now. So this counts as this episode shit mentioned. Uh, Jake, you wanted to talk about what's going on at Rikers Island, which, as it turns out, is a correctional facility in New York. Do you mind if I just read the article? No, go for it. And you can you can interject when you want. How about you do that? Because I think sometimes you'll have a good point, and I don't want to wait till the end, and then you can't think of it anymore. Sure. All right. So this is from uh, Corrections One, which is that same uh, publication that we read last week that had that terrible article about how correctional officers should be kinder and kinder and gentler. I thought it was from the New York Daily News. It's both. They published it in Corrections One, but it originally comes from the New York Daily News by Graham Raymond. This is Rikers Island Correctional Officer Captain suspended after raising concerns. I want to cut off the article right here. How the hell can you get suspended (laughs) over raising concerns? Wait a second. You're worried about something? Go home. You know, like every correctional officer should be going home. Right. And I mean, if you're concerned at Rikers Island of all places, um, that should that should be a red flag for people. Maybe we should listen to this guy because it's. Uh, I think if you're working at Rikers Island and you're not concerned, then you're not doing your job because there's no way that that is not one of the most dangerous jails on earth. Rikers Island CO captain suspended after raising concerns over detainee who assaulted 32 correctional officers in six months. I just don't even know how you have the energy for that. I mean, 32 separate people. I mean, you're trying hard. Mm. Court records show the inmates' assault cases include slashing a correctional officer with a pen, trying to attack an officer with a shiv, or as we would call it, a shank, and beating an officer with metal restraints. This is why you really need to be careful when you're going hands-on, with when you're putting restraints on people. This is why I always say go hands-on, because you put handcuffs on somebody, particularly if you only get one wrist done, well, then they've got a weapon. Mm. Uh, I won't diverge too much on that, though. Anyway, by Graham Raymond from New York Daily News. Daily News, New York City. A highly decorated New York City Correction Department captain has been suspended after raising safety concerns about the handling of a violent Rikers Island detainee, the Daily News has learned. I'm going to try my best to pronounce his name. Captain Gari, a 10-year veteran was suspended Friday, six days after sending an email challenging his bosses to come up with a security plan for a mentally ill detainee who has assaulted 32 correctional officers in six months. The paid suspension lasts until Friday, with Gari facing a disciplinary process after that. 
First of all, don't you think this is a bit of an overreaction to an email? <laughs> yeah. How dare you email us, Captain? Like, here is your punishment for emailing us. I thought, uh, I th- you know, bosses always have this mentality like, oh, we have an open door policy here, or I want to hear your concerns. Yeah. This is so classic because we would have our, our majors and associate wards say, you know, what are your concerns? Come and tell us. And then they would get mad at you. It was all, it, I always viewed it as like a bad attitude trap. If you came to them and you had concerns, you had problems, issues, uh, they would not do anything about it because obviously they're part of the problem in the first place. They're the reason the problem exists. Um, but they just wanted to sound good. They, they wanted to be like, come to me. We'll, you know, tell me about what's going on inside. But the reality is that they never wanted to work on anything. Is that what your situation is like where you are, Jake? Um, no, we, we, so I don't have, uh, captains and lieutenants and that sort of thing above me. Um, it's basically, I work, I'm between the officers and administration and there's always one of us so, on uh, duty and, and, but that's it. I mean, there's no more hierarchy than that. So I work directly with administration on issues and stuff. So, I mean, to be there for pushing a decade, I have to have to have a good relationship with them and they do, they do listen to concerns and, but I've, I've kind of done this and I said, Hey, you know, what's, what's your idea? How do you want to handle this difficult inmate? You know, what's your plan and let's give it a try, you know? So let me get this straight. Your rank structure at your facility is officer, corporal, sergeant, and that's it. Yeah, well, and even the corporals are just field training officers. They don't call them corporals because then they'd have to pay them more. Oh, of course. I went through that exact situation where I was also not being paid more to take on additional responsibilities. Okay, so that's weird to me because normally, you know, a sergeant is sort of like a middle manager anywhere else, but it seems like... You're the top dog uniform guy. So in a sense, you're the same thing as a captain. It's just your rank structure is so small. There's no reason to, to call you. I mean, captain, yeah, I could, you can be captain if you want, I guess, because that's maybe what you are. I mean, what's two steps higher than you? Uh, Wh- who is that person? The administrator. So we have administrator, deputy administrator, and then the sergeant. Holy, that's good for you. The smaller a government organization it can be and the less top-heavy right the better we had so many people at the top who were making decisions uh and so many people who were just there to collect a good big retirement it was a huge problem we were a huge top heavy organization so i applaud that yeah and most of our you guys are doing yeah most of our issues don't necessarily come from administration it's the hr and the bureaucracy above them i won't get into like the specifics of you know if you work for a uh, municipality or county or state or whatever um, that's more where um, some of our issues like administration has tried to get the corporal and tried to get the pay multiple times but they're not always able to accomplish all their goals we have to try strive for the small victories makes sense we'll get back to the article just over half of michael meganson's attacks involved splashing throwing liquid on officers which is not a small deal by the way others were for punching and even biting records obtained by the news show court records show that his open assault cases include allegedly slashing a correctional officer with a pen trying to attack an officer with a shank and beating an officer with metal restraints 
This is the email. To whom it may concern, has the DOC system completely failed us? Gari wrote in his email. How can 32 officers be assaulted by one inmate in six months? Who is going to take responsibility for all these assaults? Is, it the, fed is the federal monitor aware of these unsafe crises? Please generate a plan of action moving forward and support your staff, who are indeed tired, angry, and frustrated. End quote. To me, that just sounds like something needs to get said. I mean, if one guy has attacked 32 people, first of all, he feels nothing about that. He feels completely brazen, emboldened by the fact that no plan is in place to deal with him. And he's, he's calling for an action plan. It's not that he's just saying, hey, you guys suck. This situation's unfair and awful. He's asking for action, which I think is fair of, of any leader to ask for his upper management. What do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it was very concise. I mean, I... I probably would have sent a slightly more colorful email myself if if I was in that exact situation. I mean, we've dealt with people that have been difficult and we try multiple, you know, areas, multiple different strategies to try to deal with it. And I think from what I'm getting from doing some research, reading some articles on Rikers, I've never been there. I've never worked there. Um, but the from the top down, it seems like they're getting a lot of PC political stuff pushed at them and you know even some of these organizations whether it's the union the department of corrections the administration for you know the wardens and stuff and the associated people it seems like they're like yeah that's that's too crazy even for us even for <laughs> new york city that's way too um too liberal to be dealing with violent criminals like that's not, this is not going to work. And I think, you know, this is, it sounds like he's just frustrated, but like, okay, well, what is your plan? You know, we've tried everything we can within, within what we've been given to deal with inmates. What's your plan? What would you do to deal with this? Which I, I think is a, is a good question. You know, if you're going to limit what types of things you can use, uh, different restraints you can use, if you're going to make them have so much contact and be moved around the facility for different things, like people are going to get hurt if someone is continually combative. So what's your plan? You would think that their interests would be aligned, right? Like they don't want workers comp cases. They don't want criminal issues to go forward. I mean, it looks like the district attorney isn't touching this guy if he has all these you know, open assault cases that aren't being addressed or remedied at all. Because at one point he says, you know, who's going to take responsibility for this? It's clearly not the inmate. It's clearly not the department because he's asking them to. This guy's just going around and assaulting people, and there's there's no plan to curb or stem that behavior at all. Uh, back to the article. Other staffers immediately chimed in with support. But on May 30, Paul Eidlett, the first vice president of the Corrections Captain Association threw cold water on the email. Quote, please do not respond to this email, Cheney wrote. It is becoming an insubordination situation that will put the union and its members at a disadvantage, end quote. Sounds like he didn't like being upstaged. Sounds like the captain sent off this, uh, you know, call to action saying we're sick and tired of this. You know, it's almost a union type action and other people saying we support this captain. It's almost like He's he started his own collective bargaining type action. It's not that they're saying we're going to strike or we're going to take union type ac activities, but 
him coalescing power amongst others outside of the union is obviously a threat to union power. Yeah. And I'm not surprised at all that the unions aren't backing him. Well, that said, we I never had to deal with the union. I don't know if you no. do. But I, I think, uh, you know, they're saying that in the article they talk about him throwing cold water on the email figuratively. I mean, that's better than throwing whatever literal, uh, I'm guessing, body fluids were um, thrown at the officers. So I thought that was an interesting. It was a curious choice of words. You're right. Um, I wonder if that was intentional. The suspension happened within a few days of the email, and so it appears to be retaliatory, said Sarah T Serena Townsend, a lawyer representing Gari, who, is, who was once the Department of Corrections head of trials and investigations. So Gari, the captain, was hit with the suspension saying that he was saying, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> So Gary was hit with a suspension saying he was under unspecified confidential investigation records show. The date of the alleged violation on the form is the same day he sent the email. So, yeah, he's in, he's in trouble for sending an email, which that just shows you what a toxic work environment is. And I think we all know what's going to happen from that, that if you speak out and talk about obvious problems that are the concern of the department and you're punished for that, what's going to be the result? Yeah. So he had reached out to the captain's union in March to report the situation and was told the union would talk to the commissioner, but nothing resulted from that. Well, of course not. The commissioner doesn't care. And I almost wonder what the detainee's status is. Do they have an attitude like, well, he's only going to be here eight months, so we don't have to worry about it? Is it just keep your head down and keep going type situation? I wonder, but I mean, 32 assaults is just, it's too many not to take a different course of action. Really? Really, one, you know, you're dealing with inmate. If, if he makes an egregious assault on somebody, it's time to change, you know, his custody status, whether that's putting him in a higher level of security or coming up with a special action plan for him. I mean, we had the ability to do that with certain cases. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, we have done that. We have um, administrative things. I mean, you have like federal law, state law and things that govern specifically what we can do. So, I mean, that's kind of the... And then we have the rules for like the organization that we work for, the you know local government, um, and that's that's the game that I actually kind of enjoy. Sometimes it's like, well, within these parameters, what can we do that will make a difference, and that we can follow you know what they're saying. And oftentimes they don't like that because we're still able to accomplish compliance. Because it seems like sometimes their goal is to take away as much different means as possible, means of not just punishment, but restraint or separation. Or they say, well, you're segregating them and now they're in solitary confinement. It's like that's solitary confinement is not what we're doing. I mean, it's if they look at the literal definition, it doesn't even come close. So, yeah, we have, you know, kind of. Like we have a difficult person that we're dealing with right now. In fact, several of them. And it's kind of like, okay, well, what are we going to do today? And now he's, they figured out how that works. So we have to do something else. Um, and it just sounds like that's what he's saying. Like he's tried to go through some proper channels and now he's like, well, who's going to, who's going to give us some ideas? Who's going to give us something that we can do to stop this from escalating to this point where people are getting hurt? Circling back to the rank thing, it just in my view, Captain was already somebody who was uh, 
pretty highly ranked anyway. I mean, it, by the time you're a captain, we we had a 200 officers and three captains oversaw all 200 of those. And one captain would just be there for scheduling. And then we had two sister facilities. You know, one was the old prison and one was the new. And they were kind of on the same campus. And one captain oversaw each and everyone sort of rotated. So to me, when I think of a captain, I'm already thinking of someone who's very high in the administration. And I would have been happy if a captain in my administration had been reaching out to somebody higher than him. Right. If this is the situation. The article goes on to say this is a captain who has been honored for his bravery. It's not like he blasted out the email first thing. He went to the union and they didn't act. And now he's forced to retain an attorney. Gary's email isn't in subordination. It's evidence that Rikers is destructive for detainees and staff alike. Townsend said Gary's suspension was another in a month-long series of efforts by Corrections Department Commissioner Louis Molina and the Adams administration to undermine transparency and crush dissent about the conditions in the jails. The Correctional Department last the correction department last week confirmed the agency would no longer disclose deaths in the jails. Can you believe that? Doesn't that seem insane to you that they don't they don't talk about deaths going on there? That's how you know that something is seriously wrong when you don't have transparency about deaths going on. As a society, we absolutely do need to know what's going on in our jails because that's the only way we can keep them from having cruel and unusual punishment. I can't believe that the ACLU would even allow that to happen. Say we don't we don't get to know about deaths that are going on there. There's also something there's something wrong if you're trying to crush out dissent, trying to stamp out people saying what's actually going on in a prison. And I would know because we would have people leave our prison and they would go to the media and they would tell their story. And, of course, our secretary of corrections would have to respond to that saying, well, he's he's a former employee with an axe to grind and these situations, you know, uh, they can't be improved or whatever. Uh, I, I could turn this whole episode into what problems I have with the Secretary of Corrections and the responses that we've had. And I wish I could put those together just to sort of uh, show a, the pattern of total disregard for officer safety, but also a total disregard for transparency of what's going on inside. And prisons and jails are unique in that they can really operate under a cloak of secrecy because media can't get in there. The public can't get in there. It defeats the purpose of jail. It defeats the purpose of prison. But as a free society, we need to know what's going on there. And again, you're just, you're on the wrong side of the equation. If you're saying we need to, we need to cover up or we need to hide what's happening there. It's complicit in unethical behavior. What do you think? Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too, that with, um, again, doing more research into the facility, they're trying to, um, it's it's not just an attempt to modernize or supposedly they say you know improve conditions for everyone. Um, the new facilities that they've trying to spread it out through the boroughs and not use the island. There's actually not enough um, capacity to hold everyone. So basically, they it's going to force more no cash bail, more releases, more because as soon as they build these facilities which they're not on time with and they're not being transparent about what's going on. They're not going to have the ability to house their current problem, let alone the rising crime rates. Um, I mean, that's like, I, I lived in New York um, city for a brief time working, going in and out of the city and stuff. And, you know, from the time period I was there post nine 11, but not very recently um, the city has changed 
quite a bit. I mean, I just went there for work. It wasn't that I was totally into the entire scene and everything there. Um, I did enjoy some parts of being around the city and stuff, but uh, it's not the same New York City. I mean, you don't see people... We didn't see people getting attacked on subways and stuff and no one doing anything. I actually got involved in several stopping altercations and stuff while you're just on the subway. And that was just a normal thing. You'd somebody be flagging down um, the, uh, what do they call it? The transit Transit cops to come down and, you know, like, hey, this guy's harassing this lady, you know, and somebody's holding them down. I mean, they just broke down a situation like that here on the channel that, you know, ended tragically, but, um, you know, people, people wouldn't just sit by and, and pull out their phones and watch stuff happen, um, back in the day. So, uh, again, I wasn't in corrections at the time or anything Had a completely different job, but it's, it's sad how, how far these things have gone downhill. Yeah. It's also, you could view it as kind of cyclical too. I know that, uh, New York City was definitely a very dangerous and terrible place to be in the 70s and into the 80s. It seems like, uh, if I had to guess, just based off of nothing at all, that misery and criminal behavior is on the rise whenever liberal politics are. When you get a mayor like Giuliani, who's conservative by New York standards, and when you get a president like Reagan, and there's a, a law and order stance when it comes to crime, it seems like things get better. But you know what? There's no empirical evidence for that, like Chicago, you know, or or New York for for its own sake, or Los Angeles, or Detroit, right. or anywhere where politics are liberal and have been gone unchallenged for 50, 60 years. They're the they're the complete utopias that Karl Marx uh, ensured us that they would. Yeah, be. Detroit doesn't look like an atomic bomb got dropped on it at all. Like I don't. In Detroit, you know, they sometimes they just have fires that just burn and they burn completely out because the fire department can't respond and they decide that, you know, that it's either too far or uh, too much of a problem. And so you'll just have a structure fire that it's just they just let it. It's a complete loss anyway, and they, they just don't put it out. You know, maybe maybe they contain it or something, which maybe is actually a normal firefighter thing to do. But I'd seen some some article or some documentary once that city services there are so pathetic you know, call 911 and nothing happens and your house is on fire and no one shows up. That's the standard there. Back to the article, though. The standard message now is that everyone has to stay silent. I can imagine that's damn well true. If you take someone as high-ranking as a captain and he sends an email saying, hey, your staff is tired, angry, frustrated, and frankly beaten up, and he gets uh, suspended, no one else is going to speak out. It's possible they were using him to send a message. Mm. On Thursday, Mayor Adams questioned the integrity of federal monitor Steve Martin after Martin's team released a report raising disturbing questions about five serious incidents in the past month, including two deaths and a case where a man was left paralyzed. Judge Laura Taylor Swain has ordered a special hearing based on these findings on Martin's report for June 13th. So the DOC is apparently already under some kind of, uh, they're already under the gun from this special federal monitor saying there's already problems here. And of course there are. If you're having deaths there and getting people paralyzed and you have some sort of federal oversight, which normally I would be against, but if you're doing such a terrible job and if you're criticizing and silencing the people who are speaking out, somebody has to oversee you and I don't know who else it would be. Uh, Calls to the correction department and the union were not returned. 
Captain Gari, 36, joined the correction department when, in 2013, and he was promoted in just three years to captain. Again, that's that guy's squared away mm. if he's going up that high and that fast. On Thanksgiving Day in 2017, he was attacked by detainee Jason Reed at a dorm at the Otis Bantam Correction Center. Dramatic video caught Reed wrestling Gari to the ground before the captain turned the tables, pinning Reed. I'm sure that video must have been fun to watch. The paragraph sounds like you narrated it. <laughs> I'll do a special story time with John about uh, Captain Gari taking down Reed. Uh, I'll, I'll, throw, I'll put Dana into the story as well. Two other inmates then rained blows on Gari while he fought them off. Gari suffered a range of bruises and cuts and a nasty three-inch wound under his left ear. That couldn't have been good. In the aftermath, Captain Gari received commendations for valor from the department and praise and awards from a range of elected officials and others. Do you think that the the when they do praise and awards and things like that, it's all about, like, please don't sue us? Because it seems to me like if you get assaulted at work, just correct me if I'm wrong, no pun intended, because I've never thought of this, but, like, is that a lawsuit? I mean, if you if an inmate injures you, somebody's got to be held liable. It sure as hell is it going to be the inmate. It would be the department, right? Well, and if it's if it's a result, I would think so. If it's a result of failed policy, you know, if it's there you and go. I think that's the root of his concerns is like, hey, how are we going to what we're we can't just continue to throw people, you know, put people in to deal with this inmate and keep getting injured, and it's just like this, like you said, it's a cyclical effect. Like we have to be able to have some other measures to keep our staff safe. That's what it sounds like. And it sounds like he knows what he's talking about because he's been in those situations and he can obviously handle himself. So, um, and not, not everyone can. He seems like someone who's probably a better correctional officer than most. And he's trying to do his best to help others. After he returned to work from that incident, Captain Gary was assigned a coveted spot in the Special Operations Division, where he was he distinguished himself enough to a transfer to a temporary assignment at the city's Department of Investigation, a separate agency that probes misconduct. To me, that's a big deal. If you have a correctional officer, even a captain, and they get taken out of the Department of Corrections and they get told to go do something else, that is a very, very squared away person. In my opinion, DOC employees are never really asked to do anything else because whether it's accurate or not, we're viewed as bottom of the barrel state employees. You know, um, if I was ever asked to do anything outside of the role of corrections, I imagine that maybe I would be like directing traffic for the Department of Transportation to be laying down asphalt. That's what a special assignment would have been for me. So for him to go to a board of investigations, I presume uh, for officer or city employee misconduct and this guy's very squared away. And it's sad that he's on, on the end of the situation. He eventually transferred back to the corrections department and was assigned to the North Infirmary Command and the West Facility, Rikers Island jails that house the mentally ill and the ailing along with high-profile detainees and those who have proven difficult to manage. He, was off, he has often worked a rather... He has often worked a regular rather than supervisory post there because of lingering correction department staffing shortages, he said. Oh, so he's a captain, but he's working the post of an officer. Well, I guess that doesn't surprise me then. We talked about that going on in Philadelphia and elsewhere where just posts are left vacant. There's no one there. You know, we had that. Was that in Philadelphia yeah. where the officers broke out because one person was working in the housing unit and there was nobody working the perimeter? And yeah, and they got out through faked. the gate or whatever, and then it, they were, yeah, they were counted because they're managing multiple 
facility, you know, multiple pods or what, however, that's broken up multiple tiers. Um, but yeah, they were, they were gone for almost 24 hours before anybody even noticed. The detainee who sparked Gary's email, Meganson, 33, is being detained on Rikers Island for an assault arrest last year in a shelter for the mentally ill. In 2015, he was profiled as part of an in-depth New York Times story suggesting people like him don't belong in jail but in a psychiatric hospital. The story noted he had 70 physical clashes with correctional officers in 18 months. Meganson now has three open Rikers Island assault cases, court records show. He allegedly slashed a correctional officer with a pen leaving her with eight stitches, tried to attack an officer with a shank, and beat an officer with mental restraints, like we said. From December 14th through May 20, Meganson had been cited 24 times for tossing unknown liquids on officers, at least seven times for striking or biting them, six times for setting fires. Six times for setting fires. <laughs> Guys, I couldn't, I couldn't start one fire if you asked me to. If I was about to die in the wilderness and I needed to start a fire, I wouldn't be able to do it. At least four times for damaging jail walls, according to brief summaries of the incidents obtained by the news. The summaries contain little context, but they show the correctional department response has been aggressive as well. He's been showered with pepper spray 17 times. That's not aggression, by the way. That's normal. In that five-month period, and sustained other injuries caused when officers took him to the de- took him down. In one incident on May 5, 10 correctional officers blasted him with pepper spray. The records show the number of people hitting him with pepper spray really doesn't matter. You can hit, and it and it, you say pepper spray, but what kind of spray they're using? Okay, if you're using a fogger, could be that this guy just has a high tolerance to pepper to to OC. Mm. I've we would have guys where we would fog their cells with pepper spray. And, you know, it wouldn't bother them because they were used to it. They'd spend a lifetime inside the walls. And sure, it wasn't comfortable, but like it it wasn't causing them to give to give up, to cuff up or anything like that. We would still be squaring off with them for an hour, two hours at a time. And then, uh, you know, if you're hitting them with something oil based, something liquid and it, it all depends. Where are you hitting them? If you're hitting them on the butt, the back. Someone where there's no mucous membranes, it's not going to hurt them that bad. You've really got to get them in the eyes. You've got to get them in the mouth. And this guy seems like maybe he's the kind of guy where he's had that happen to him enough that he probably knows how to defend himself. We would have guys wrap themselves up in shirts, you know, almost like balaclavas on their head to protect themselves from that stuff. They would fortify themselves with mattresses. We even had a guy once who was able to, without tools, take apart his bunk and use that to create a, a barricade that would prevent the door from opening. This guy was stripping bolts off of nuts with his bare hands. So, uh... Whenever I read things like this, I always just want to say, well, this is your extraordinary person. And I say person in a loose sense, but we we had insane inmates that could do insane things. And we had to respond to them like this, particularly when we couldn't get them to stop. Anytime where normal tactics aren't changing their behavior, you have to resort to extra tactics, pepper spray and the like. But ultimately, inside a, inside a prison, if you can't get someone to comply, you can't get someone to behave, you can't get someone to stop biting you, to stop throwing things on you. There's only so much you can do, and that's because of the Eighth Amendment. You know, even if you're strapping them down, we would put guys in four-point restraints on beds. We would have to check on them every 15 minutes. The ca- the supervisor of the shift has to go down there on a camcorder, check the restraints, say, look, there's there's no cut marks. There's no, there's no uh, lacerations to his wrist. He's calm, secure. He's being monitored. 
you know, you would say on camera, you would say to the inmate, inmate X, you know, are you doing okay? Yeah, I'm fine. You know, and you would go through all this. But if those things don't work, there's nothing you can do other than killing them. I mean, I think that's what the cases were back in the day in the 1800s or whenever you want to say, but inmates being uh, beaten to death in prison. It could be just because the officers are especially cruel and lawless, but it, there was also, I'm sure, inmates that couldn't be controlled through any means, and we have those today, and I think this is one such person. Have you ever seen somebody inside your facility that just totally uh, was outside of your realm of control, Jake? Uh, Yeah, we've had some that are borderline to yeah right on that you know that definitely qualify and that's that's the thing i haven't had a celebrity like here that's you know been i haven't had somebody that was part of a new york Times story um and i think that might have been a lot of the a lot of the uh, reason that it sounds like they're taking away these means well you can't pepper spray them or you can't do this or you can't restrain them or you need to leave them alone because you know, they don't like the sound of the story that they don't like the picture that it paints. But, you know, when you read all the things that this person's done and continues to do, I mean, I, I think the argument about we've actually had people that were just incapable of functioning. I mean, below room temperature IQs that were placed in jail and were like, I don't, I don't know how this person doesn't even know where they're at. Like, I don't, they're, completely incapable of understanding their actions have consequences. And I'm not like a lawyer trying to get this guy off. I'm just somebody looking at this person and being like, this is not where they belong. You know, this is not, this is not the point being here is, is not going to accomplish anything for this person. This person needs more help. They need, you know, so I, I kind of see it's kind of the point they're saying, you know, maybe some people need to be in mental institutions because they're at a different level um, of having issues. We have had that in the past and we've had yeah, several inmates. I mean, dealing with juveniles in a state that's not, um, not very big on law and order. You don't have a lot of tools to, to manage them. And it's like trying to explain to people like you have to have a ridiculous amount of patience to deal with these people and to, um, you know, it gets to a point where it's like, well, you can't take anything away from them anymore. It's like, like super troopers, right? You pulled over, you can't pull over anymore. Like, what are you going to do to this person now? It's not having any effect. We need to try something else. So I, I can kind of empathize with that, but, um, I, I don't empathize with that. This individual, if he's chosen to continue to commit crimes and victimize this many people, I don't know the I didn't read the, you know, the entire article. It was behind like a paywall and I don't really want to be associated with that organization, let alone adding to the, to paying them to read about some, you know, frankly, some piece of shit inmate that is just continuing to victimize people. And, you know, the question is, what would he be doing if he was out with the citizenry at large now? You don't have um, judges and stuff that want to, cause and you know put them you know, keep them in jail generally so for him to be in jail for this long this assault you know simple assault i don't think this was putting your hand on someone and applying pressure um for him to be there that long and to have this many additional assaults you know dozens and dozens of assaults going on this is not 
um, somebody that should be bagging groceries for you or cooking your steak, Applebee's or whatever. This is somebody that's needs such a high level of care. Um, I'm not sure what the answer is. And it seems like uh, the New York Department of Corrections didn't have an answer either. So they decided instead to try to suspend someone that was looking for a solution to the problem. I don't think they want to look into it. And they don't want to be made to look bad. Uh, I think the the greater question of what you're talking about is something that we've always talked about, and it's the falling through the cracks in the system. There's a gap between intensive care, psychiatric hospitals, and and jail. So what you don't want is people, you know, pleading insanity and and going off to cushy psychiatric hospitals, you know, compared to jail, when they're legally culpable for the crime. The question legally is always: in the moment you committed the crime. Did you know the difference between right and wrong? And so it allows this window of, of transition, right? Like your, your, your mental state can fluctuate. So in the moment when you raise the knife and plunge it down, you can damn well know what you're doing. But then later when your meds are all wonky because you're being transferred between facilities and you haven't had the same medical care that you've had before or, you know, maybe your meds aren't being covered specifically under, uh, you know, the department that's managing your care, or maybe you're receiving too many meds. I mean, so often we're just quick to throw meds at a problem rather than therapy. I'm sure that's the case, not only in the real world, but you know, in when caring for mental illness behind the walls. So now you have these problem cases where there really is no solution. And, you know, the liberal sides are going to say, well, we need to create this whole new department to just deal with this. And the taxpayers can't bear the burden and so you just have a gap where people fall into to where they can't be properly housed in a jail and they can't be properly treated by a psychiatric hospital because they're a danger to the people there and and there's a debt to pay to society. So there's that huge issue. But in terms of punishing this captain, it's all about people just making sure they're still on the political rise. They don't want their administration of of their time being in charge of Rikers Island to be marred with controversy, to be marred with uh, serious incidents. They just want it all swept under a rug until they can move on. I view, I view the responsibility for Rikers Island as something of a hot potato, and the people that have it right now are probably just looking to pass it on and move on to the next thing, move up the ladder politically, retire, or, or achieve whatever their goals are. No, one's, no one at the top is truly invested into transforming Rikers Island and many other prisons across the country into the places that they should and can be. And of course, I, I know about the limitations of government. I know what happens with government employees. I have been one for like 20 years. I'm I maybe not a top-of-the-line employee. I'm definitely not a, a Fortune 500 type guy with those kinds of great ideas. Uh, a lot of No offense to you, Jake, but a lot of government employees just really aren't that great. And if you don't have great employees and you're dealing with situations which there's no clear solution like how do you change someone's behavior? Uh, what and there's just there's some problems that don't have a solution. Um, I was talking about this with uh, I believe April, who um, listens to the show. But sometimes there's not a solution for every problem, and you just have to accept that. When I was in college, I was taking a class called Crime and Its Victims, and uh, it was a study of of, of victims of crime, obviously. And my professor was a raging liberal, and uh, I've talked a little bit about my college years on uh, Storytime with John, but this is one of those professors I had where I had problems with him, and they weren't funny. Uh, but on one occasion, 
we were given a, a group assignment where all of you break up into groups. And your assignment is, is to come up with an idea to make victims want to participate and cooperate with the criminal justice system. So think like someone who's been a uh, victim of an assault, a rape, or whatever. A lot of times these folks don't want to go to court and they don't want to cooperate with the system because they get re-victimized having to A, deal with it, take time away from their jobs or families to be dealing with this over and over and over again. And particularly in, in serious assaults and sexual assaults, they get re-victimized just telling their story in front of people on the stand. So that's what you're dealing with, right? Like it's this really ugly societal issue. Well, how do you make people want, want to, to, to be a part of that? And I, I objected to the premise of the question because it's like, how do you get people to feel differently? How do you get people to in, engage after being victimized? I feel like they have a right to, to not pursue those things. They have a right to be, you know, not engaged. They have a right to not cooperate if that's what they want to do. Ooh. Society has an interest, but they have their own self-interest to pursue. And it's, it's communistic or socialistic to say, well, you should set aside your own individual needs to pursue those of society. So I had a problem with the premise of the question because it placed the, the, the importance or, or the needs of society above the individual. So we, the premise of the question to me was a little socialistic, but it was also impractical. So we're sitting there talking about it, and uh, the solution, you know, for the sake of the class was, well, we'll create, you know, a victim's advocacy person who, uh, you know, can help that person kind of get through the process and kind of be a social worker slash counselor slash clerk of court to them, and they would really understand everything and make it easy and explain to them the value of their cooperation, you know, putting a murderer, putting a rapist away, something like that. And then uh, so we got that done and we st still evidently had plenty of time because professors walking around the room, other gr groups are still talking. And he walks past my table and I have stopped giving a shit at this point. And I, and I say, what about this? I, you know, I was a victim uh, of a crime and all I got was this lousy T-shirt, you know, <laughs> like it's just a fucking joke, you know, to me, like I'm just cracking wise about it. You know, free T-shirts for, for anyone that wants to come and, and testify <laughs> during their own trial, their own criminal complaint against someone else. And he's, he looks at me and he goes, you know, I don't know about you. I'm like, oh, how so? I don't know if you're going to be a prosecutor or a stand up comedian. Can't I be both? And that was just that guy. He had an absolute stick up his ass. Nothing was funny to him. And he uh, was also the kind of guy that viewed government as the solution to all problems and people like me as the problem. Uh, this is just for some context. This is a guy who uh, blamed the race riots and the beating of Rodney King on the uh, economic policies of Reagan and Bush. So he <laughs> it was his view that because we had uh, uh, whites getting uh, richer in this country and black folks getting poorer that uh, somehow... First of all, those things were caused by Reaganomics, but then Rodney King and people like him getting the shit kicked out of him are a direct result of that. So when you have thinking like that, there's really no reasoning with it. And there, I, I viewed it as there was no reason for me to engage with him seriously. Fun fact, he did come in and he did visit the inmates later. And a couple weeks ago, I talked about people coming in and researching inmates inside the walls and how there would be uh, an observer effect. And uh, all these inmates loved chumming him up and talking to him about how the injustices of the system and how... They're only criminals because they they had to innovate. He said crime was an innovation to an unfair system. When you have an oppressive system holding people down, holding people back, that the only way that they could get ahead was by breaking the rules. Crime, in other words. And I'm rolling my eyes. I'm just like, are you fucking kidding me? You know, I just want to say to him now, like, so we got George Floyd going on and 
we have all these uh, poor people, and uh, the solution is always ripping off a TV from Target, you know. So <laughs> don't don't even talk to me about about how it's uh, it's being oppressed by the system. I think I just went on like nine tangents there, so that was kind of a record for me. Uh, that was like a pinball game of a uh, uh, so- sociological and conservative thought. Do you ha- did I inspire any response from you other than perhaps falling asleep, Jake? Well, I think I think I have observed. You know, like you you talked about people not wanting to come forward and go through the process because we're automatic reporters, just like a lot of government employees. Um, And there's usually a couple different reasons why that generally that people wouldn't want to disclose something, especially like a sexual assault, something like that. I've noticed that some people, they don't want to because of the re, you know, getting re-victimized, traumatized, doing the whole interview and forensic examination and things like that. Um, they're also not used to people um, showing an interest in their well-being, which is really sad. Um, the first time that you tell them, like, well, you're safe and we'll, we will go through the process and you're trying to explain things to them, how it works, and try to be as empathetic as you can while being professional, they're, they're kind of taken aback. Like, they, they're not used to that. Um, and also because there's a remarkable amount of um, falsely reported sexual assaults. Um, I'm, I'm definitely not pro sexual assault in any manner. Um, but now that's a bold stance to take, I know. but I appreciate you being so, so bold and brave to take. It's two. So I want to, I want to, yes, I want to bandwagon <laughs> with you if I may a virtue signal to say, I also am against rape. Go ahead. Right. But, um, but it's just interesting to see. I mean, I've, I've, we dealt with, I talked, I kind of referenced the case before about seeing someone get completely exonerated. And it was a young woman accusing a young man of non-consensual sex that involved uh, some restraints and a family member walking in on them. So rather than telling the truth about daddy, that's what I'm into. This boy was in jail for a long time and almost went to trial before it came to light that this was not a, um, it was a consensual encounter and that was at her request. So, um, and I've seen, I don't, dozens and dozens and dozens of false reports. Um, what a horrible thing to have to deal with. I can't imagine. Yeah. So it's, but, you know, I feel strongly I've had a lot of uh, several family members that have been victimized and stuff in the past. But I also feel equally as strong for people that um, abuse the system. And as far as people like, you know, getting victimized and stuff, we had an officer. We had one inmate, particularly way back in my career, who um, was extremely difficult. Like the, the reinforced windows and stuff that you'll have in facilities he regularly would break those and crawl through them like in like record time and use class to self-harm himself and um, attack others. And it, it was um, a different level compared to what we're norm- normally encountering as far as, hey, this kid stole some, stole his parents' car. So it's, you know, it's um, an auto burglary stolen it's a it's a felony whatever but it's like you just took your parents car keys and didn't tell them about it is a little different um and he in the course of one of his freakouts 
um, injured an officer, almost put his hip out of joint, and um, actually caused some fractures in his legs. Um, I'm not sure the exact extent of the injury, but it was enough that he was on leave for several weeks. And when he came back, I told him, I was like, man, that was bullshit. Because he was very kind of bleeding heart, trying to help people all the time and stuff. And I'm like, you tried to help this person. And then in the midst of his, he's trying to reason with him while he's losing his mind and being extremely violent. And as a thank you, he got victimized. He was hurt injured it caused loss of you know when you go on um unemployment or uh what is it for um for injuries workers, workers yeah workers or, comp yeah. um there's always a loss of income it's not at 100 percent generally i know it yeah. wasn't in this case so it cost your family and he's like i didn't think of that i'm like how could you be off of work for a month and a half and not think about that and be pissed off about that. I'm like, I'm still pissed off about that. <laughs> like, um, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, having that, trying to have that conversation, I don't think it changed any minds and I probably won't. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing what you see over the course of a career, how, um, the story, you know, you try to identify, you want to feel like you could fight off three people like this captain, if you needed to. And if you did that, and if you've gotten these, um, other assignments and, worked hard and you're doing the right thing that you know you're going to be rewarded for that instead of suspended so i think that's what kind of stuck in my craw about the situation and why i felt like it was something um, worth talking about because you know my unofficial opinion to boil it down is it's bullshit (laughs) well with without a doubt i mean they're correctional officers your line officers officers corporals sergeants you know, you come in, you're in the shit sandwich. You're between these inmates who can't be held to account for anything. That's why or they're there. Burrito. Uh, or a burrito. You're in a shit burrito. You're surrounded by inmates that can't be accounted to be held to account for anything. And then, you know, to go back to the sandwich, on top of you is this uh, huge, top-heavy administration that just doesn't want to hear it. They don't want to know their problems inside. They want to skate to retirement or their next political appointment or whatever it is that they want to do because they sure as fuck don't want to be in charge of the prison. They want to go on to the next thing and never really change or address anything, all the while appearing empathetic and appearing like they want to solve problems and do nothing of the kind. So I feel bad for correctional officers, corporals, sergeants, you know, and that's not list isn't exhaustive. I know there's lieutenants and captains like this guy who are going out there and doing things, but I feel for anybody who's going out there every day, every single day, doing the best they can to stay alive, to stay unhurt, to protect each other, to enforce the rules, to keep the community safe by keeping these guys confined and being utterly powerless to address any of the real issues that are causing problems there and prolonging problems and exasperating problems, exacerbating problems. I feel sorry for anyone who's exacerbated. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of that going on too. We haven't covered that topic. (laughs) Exacerbation. <laughs> I got stories of exacerbation. Um, uh, we should do that. Uh, gosh, I did promise that we would do, we would do the whole trans thing next time, but I got to say I, I'm kind of dreading it just because I have nothing to add to that conversation. I might get. Uh, I'll see if maybe April's up for that. Maybe you guys can talk back and forth, and I could just be in the room, and you guys can 
educate the public on what that's like because I have nothing to offer. We didn't. It wasn't anything I ever had to deal with. I'm I'm Stone Age Corrections. I didn't have to deal with uh, hot button sexual politic issues like you guys. So I I don't know anything. I don't. I'm not helpful. I just all I have is my uh, you know pretty much uh, normcore conservative white guy suspected hipster views of things. So. Uh, and if you just listened to the rambling in this episode, you probably know where I sit on those things. So how entertaining could that be? Jake, did you want to take us out on a joke? I, by the way, people are reaching out to me and letting me know how funny your jokes are because they can't find the real Jake. So they're like, tell Jake this is funny. And I'm like, yeah, I'll be sure to do that. What do you got? Well, yeah, Jake's going to have to start a separate um, social media profile or something for that. Um, well, well, this is kind of topical, but I also, uh, found it quite funny. Um, how many therapists does it take to change a light bulb? I know the answer to this one for the first time. We're like 10 episodes in and I know the answer. Do you want to do the punchline or, or can I be allowed to do it after all these weeks of not? It's okay. As long as you commit to it, you can do the punchline. It doesn't matter how many the light bulb want has to want to change. And that's the point. Like I said, topical, and I also thought it was funny. Uh, you know what, though? I ruined the joke. So let's let's we'll edit it. I don't know, Jake. How many therapists does it take to change a light bulb? I'm going to guess at least two. Well, the number of therapists is, is doesn't matter, but the light bulb has to want to change. Oh, you got me. <laughs> I'm actually going to leave both versions in, in that way. Like if someone didn't laugh before, hopefully because you have your cheeky delivery, they'll still have a chuckle or just a chuckle at my expense. Because obviously, even though I'm by far the funnier person on Comp Center, I'm just total shit here. So, all right. Well, thanks for joining me. Another episode of Hard Time. If you're wondering why Hard Time's hard to find, it's because I'm moving and so much is going on in my life that I just I only have time to work and to sleep and to cry it's hard to find the time to record yes we'll we'll get more episodes coming out i got some time off coming up in july we'll do a a whole whole ass load of them uh jake hope you have a splendid fourth of july i'll be at work so it won't be splendid for me we'll catch you all next time on hard time